the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and it's great to be with you. Later on this program, uh, excuse me, later on this week, I just was looking at the schedule, I will have some segments called The Case for Speaker Trump. The case for Speaker Trump, that Donald J. Trump should become Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives in January of 2023. I'll tell you how it happens, why it happens, why it's allowed under the Constitution and how great it would be. And a lot more in a few moments. We'll also talk. I'm really looking forward to this interview. I had uh, about two weeks ago received an offer of a book uh, to read. And I said, okay, let me look at this. And I said, what's the title of the book? And they said, um, well, you got to come you know, get, get a copy of it. It's called The Hidden Nazi. The Hidden Nazi. And I said, well, I don't know, a Nazi book. What's it about? It turns out it's a page turner from Regnery Press. And it's really, really great. So uh, you're going to want to uh, tune in and we're going to interview one of the three authors. Uh, Dean Reuter is his name. The others are Calm Lowry and Keith Chester. And we'll talk to him about The Hidden Nazi. Really extraordinary book uh, coming up in a few moments. All right. Before that, what you need to know, what you need to know today, what you need to know today is Friday's uh, so-called audit, so-called audit, of Arizona's Maricopa County. Over 4 million citizens live in Maricopa County. 13,000 employees work for the Maricopa County, uh, um, excuse me, the Maricopa County um, government, all told. Big, big place, right? Fourth, fourth largest county in the country. That's bigger than some states. I think I said last week, Missouri's got about 6 million people as residents, and Maricopa County has 4 million. Um, so it's an extraordinary uh, place. The, the so-called audit of Maricopa County revealed what? Was there a smoking gun? Not really. There were lots of smoking chads or smoking ballots, lots of things that were wrong, but nothing that anyone could point to that would say, aha, there's the election stolen. But here's what we now know and what you need to know. We are living now in a place, America, a republic, where for lots of reasons that have to do with the results of the 2020 election, meaning Biden appeared to win, and also the preference of the media, meaning Biden appeared to win, and all those things, the narrative machine I tell you about all the time, big tech, big media, big government saying you cannot object to the 2020 election. All that's all there and true. So we're living in a republic where it's not clear that our elections are, are either free or fair. And I, I want to say this more broadly. Watch how I say this. In the last five years, five years, we have a, had, had a crisis, a crisis of confidence in elections. Five years ago, it was Democrats. And they thought, I think it was dishonest. I think it was a, 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 a fake out. But they thought that the election in 2016 was not completely on the up and up. That's what somewhere around 75% of Democrats thought in the six, to, six months to a year after the 2016 election. 
They had Hillary out saying Russia, Russia, Russia. They had all the, the Mueller investigation. They had all the media going wild. And a lot of people thought, I don't have confidence in the 2016 election. Now, I did because I didn't think that was an objection that made sense that Russia hacked in. It didn't. There's never been evidence of that. But in 2020, after six months and a little bit less than a year now, about 75% of Republicans, really more than that probably total, believe that the 2020 election wasn't really done right. It was either fraudulent or incompetent or misled. But here's what you need to know. We cannot tell if our elections are free and fair because we cannot audit the election. If, when I say audit, I mean audit the ballots, audit the ballots, including the voter rolls, you know, look at the cast ballots, look at the voter registration, look at the all those systems. Right. That's something that can be audited. Audit the uh, and the same time, audit the mail in ballots, audit the ballots that are in person, all the audit, all of the ballots that came in and their background in the voting rolls. The second area that has to be able to be audited in order for us to have any confidence is the electronic systems. It cannot be that the electronic systems are off limits for the American people, which is effectively what we've been told. You can't see the source code. You can't see the inner workings. You just have to trust us that it works. That's not acceptable. Not when 75% of Democrats in 2017 said the election, they didn't have confidence in the election, and 75% now. We're, We're deteriorating in terms of our confidence. The last area that needs to be audited is the money. We need an audit of the money, including the outside money that comes into jurisdictions to pay. Zuckerberg bucks, Soros bucks, even dark money from conservatives. I'm fine with all of that. The money that's spent on elections, 450 million reportedly, I don't know for sure, Zuckerberg spent. He helped pay for poll workers or or workers in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I mean, we don't even know. All, All you hear is all this speculation. If you cannot audit the vote, if you cannot audit the vote, you cannot have a free and fair election. And at this point, it doesn't matter what, whether you like the results or not, whether you think the results are the opposite of what you'd like. If you're unhappy, happy, it doesn't matter. We have a crisis of confidence in America. And the only way forward is to audit the vote. Every single elected official and candidate, everybody who cares about elections needs to sign on to audit the vote and make a pledge that they will audit all of the ballots, all of the registration, all of that concrete data that says whether so-and-so was really registered and wasn't dead or was living somewhere else and wasn't supposed to vote, get to the bottom of all that. Get to the bottom of all the electronic machines, the poll books, the counting machines, all of it we need, full transparency and order. And if someone says, well, we cannot do it because If you had transparency and you were able to audit the systems, the electronic systems, the computer systems, then the proprietary software would be stolen by other people. Then we have to come up with a different system. We have to either come up with a system that has uh, 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 ballots cast by hand in paper and then counted. You know, Germany has, I don't know, close to 80 million, 90 million people. They just had a big election a couple of days ago. They did everything. They, they don't have, they, they cast their ballots, paper ballots and counted them. I mean, there's a way we can do it. And frankly, we have to do it. And the third area of audit, of course, is follow the money. 
follow the money. Let's get transparent with the money. What we spend on the systems, who spends from the outside, follow the money. If you do those three buckets of audits and you audit the vote, you will have confidence in the system. People will have growing confidence in the system if you do that. And if you don't, if you're told, go away, little boy, go away, little girl, you can't ask questions. We don't trust you. You're not on the right side of this issue. You're, you're fomenting, you're fomenting distrust and lack of confidence. That's what's happening. That's what we see and feel all around us. And so what did Mar- I told you this on Friday, what did Maricopa County prove? It didn't prove much smoking gun wise. It just didn't, but it did prove what? That we need, it wasn't a full audit. Nobody looked at the machines. Nobody looked at the money. They looked at parts of the system that allowed some view into the voting, into the ballots. But frankly, my feeling is when I saw it all, they got to look at the same stuff that they were looking at before. In other words, nobody gave them access past a certain point. And so again, I don't know whether there was fraud or not. I can't tell. It looks suspicious to me, but I can tell you this. You can't live in a free republic where you have no ability, not a meaningful ability, to have an audit of the vote. That's got to be the goal. Audit the vote. Audit audit the election. Every single one at every single level. And if you want the federal government to play a role in this, I don't want them to run elections. I want them to say, here's the deal. In America, we demand that you run elections that are auditable that are able to be audited by people so they can see what the heck is going on and they can know for sure what it all means. And if they did that, we'd be in much better. We'd be, we would have growing confidence every day, every day. That's what you need to know. Audit the vote, audit the vote, audit the vote. And if we do it in 2022 in 435 house seats and I don't know, 20 or 30 Senate seats and every state legislature almost except for New Jersey and uh, Virginia, they'll be up next year. Then we get it all figured out. And by 2024, the American people, both sides of the aisle, independents, libertarians, Green Party, they can all feel like there's voter confidence, like there's confidence in voting. Audit the vote has to be done for the republic. For the Republic. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back. We got a lot of great guests and more. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. ProAmericaReport.com. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Our next guest is Craig Shirley. Now, I'm going to talk about uh, to him about the news that's so topical, but I have to tell you that one of my favorite books of all time about campaigns and about how things work and what happens is his book that's called Reagan's Revolution, The Untold Story of the Campaign That Started It All. And it's about the 1976 Reagan campaign, which was the one that he lost um, and how amazingly dramatic that was and what Reagan learned and how it played out. And you, if you haven't read, he, he's written tons and tons of books. Craig Shirley's written lots of books, historical books, books on politics. Another one I have, Craig, on a book on tape and audible is the one on Mary Abal Washington, uh, uh, George Washington's mom, which is also extraordinary. So anyway, welcome, Craig Thank Shirley, you, great author, and uh, appreciate having you on the show. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, Dad. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm doing fine. So the news that we want to talk about is um, the, the amazingly within about a month or three weeks of an attempt to get Sirhan Sirhan, the killer of Robert Kennedy, released, which seems to have gone away. We now have a federal judge 
uh, granting unconditional release to John Hinckley Jr., the man who shot Ronald Reagan. Didn't kill him, but nearly did. Um, so, Craig, first of all, well, Hinckley's not been in jail. I, I think I knew not, that in the back of my head. Life. Not one day in his life. Yeah, because they, they, did, they declared he was insane, right? Yeah, well, no, they said he was uh, innocent but insane. Well, yes, that's right. They said he was insane at his jury trial, trial which was in D.C., which was uh, he had a team of left-wing lawyers, and he, the jury was a bunch of left-wingers from uh, D.C., and they decided that Hinckley was, uh, it was, it was innocent by reason of insanity, which is a new uh, verdict, never heard before. Innocent by reason of insanity was totally insane. But if he is insane, which he is, he still belongs, uh, he still belongs you know, in a mental institution, or if he's sane, he belongs behind bars because he did kill Jim Brady. The, the coroner's right. report when Jim Brady died, and by the way, Jim Brady was an old friend of mine. We both worked on the Hill as press actors. And um, when he died, the coroner's report said he died as a result. He died, it was a homicide. So Hinckley is a murderer, uh, and yet he's walking around uh, on the streets uh, free as a bird, which is just a total travesty of justice. And, of course, the, the, ju- the judge in this whole uh, nasty drama uh, Paul Friedman is a Bill Clinton of appointee, so that kind of that kind of figures. You know that you'd have to have a, a left wing left wing jurist uh, put down a left wing uh, opinion. Uh, you know on the assassination of Captain right. Ronald Reagan. We're talking with Craig Shirley, and by the way, if you go to CraigShirley.com, you'll see all his different books. That's a good place to go. Um, back to Hinckley. So Hinckley is—he's now 66 years old. And yeah. here's the thing that makes me madder than anything, Craig, because I think you're—I think you're giving the judge in this case too much credit in the sense that the judge a- approved what was the department, the prosecutor. So now the Department of Justice, Biden's Department of Justice, filled with. All kinds of lefty. Forget Merrick Garland. Go right below Merrick Garland to Lisa Monaco. She's as far oh, left as she can be. And yeah. so the Department of Justice says, hey, here's what we'll do. Our friends are the defense lawyers for uh, for Hinckley anyway, likely. And we'll yeah. make a deal. We'll do an agreement. And it'll be unconditional release. And judge, we're the prosecutor. We're on both sides of the V. We're the prosecutor. He's the defendant. We say it's okay. The judge yeah. says, okay, why not? And here we are. This was a uh, this was a giant finger aimed at the uh, millions of decent uh, people of American society and culture, including you and me. That's what it was. It was the liberal establishment giving the finger to people like you and me. Said, you know, up yours. Uh, we don't care if uh, Hinckley committed murder. We're going to let him go. We're going to let him go free, even if even if he's still. Insane. He's, there's certain movies he can't watch. There's certain books he can't buy. He's been warned to stay away from the families of the people uh, of the men he uh, shot. He's been warned to stay away from the Reagan family. He's been warned to stay away from uh, J- Jim Brady's family. That doesn't sound like a sane man to me. But if the if the here's the paradox: if he's crazy, he belongs in an institution. If he's if he's guilty and insane that he belongs behind bars. But instead, they picked the third option, which is the most ridiculous option of all, is that he, he should walk among the walk among the, with the rest of us, which is insane. Uh, and and um, and let's uh, to be clear about this. He he went to live with his family, um, yes. I think, down in Williamsburg, Virginia, Williamsburg, if I remember Virginia. correctly. Yes. And, and, and his father. 
Yeah, his father was alive and died years ago now, a decade or more, and his mother yes. just died. I read that yes. for sure. So the, whatever the whatever the sort of check on this was, now he's on his own. I mean, again, uh, it, you would think that the yeah. – I, I mean, it's I hate even, to encourage us worse. both. It's even worse is that his uh, encounter group <laughs> – believe that you reach out and touch somebody. Uh-huh. Uh, his encounter group recently broke up because of COVID. And his little uh, his little uh, uh, fiefdom at his uh, antique uh, store that closed too because of COVID. And and it, his last report says he needs social interaction to keep from going crazy. Well, now he's not getting social interaction. So is he going to go crazy again and shoot somebody else? The um, the uh, I, I I get this. Is there anyone who can appeal? I mean, I, I don't mean that to be a, a, a legal appeal, but is there any? I don't think there is. Right. It doesn't matter if no, and I don't think Patty no. Davis. Or, there's no one yeah. that can say, hey, this is a danger. Right. Jodie Foster's not going to do it, I'm sure. No, no. I mean, she can speak out. She spoke out in 2016 and said this when, when Hinckley was uh, released you know, in his stages, that there was, this was a travesty of justice and a terrible thing. And I'm sure if she's asked, she'll say again, this, this is a terrible uh, – if I, if I was Jody Foster, I'd grow an eye in the back of my head because, uh, he, I mean, he ended up killing people because he stalked her. So who's to say he's not going to stalk her again? Is that the last – I interviewed uh, for one of my books a lot of the psychiatrists involved, and uh, they mm-hmm. said to a person that he was dangerous uh, to society, that he was a sociopath, that he felt nobody else's pain, he only felt his own pain, and that he. Uh, this was, these are six psychiatrists who all said that he was certifiable and that he should not be released into a normal society. And yet here he is, because of this whacked-out judge, released in normal society. It is, um, it is uh, again, the timing of it, uh, the, the positioning of it, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem to me to make much sense. Um, Craig, uh, again, um, uh, the the Brady family, I mean, the Brady family's gotten some uh, some pr- prominence over the years in terms of policy stuff. Has, has, has they, have they put out a statement or they care? No, no, they haven't. Uh, you know, of course, he passed away some years ago and his wife also yeah. passed away and they didn't have any children. Now, I don't think he had any children oh. from his first marriage. Um, so but maybe his cousins. Uh, I've, I, although I haven't seen anything, uh, but if their last mm-hmm. name is Brady and they're they're somehow related, he can figure out through the internet, and uh, you know maybe they ought to think about getting private security for themselves. Yeah, it is. Um, all right, Craig. Any more? Oh, you got any more books on the way? Reagan books? I mean, you have about five or six of them. Uh, some am, of the I'm best. On three Reagan books right now, and I'm finishing a book, uh, April 1945, which comes out at the end of February next year. And this is about the month oh. of April, obviously 1945, and all the momentous things that happened then, with FDR's death and Truman becoming president, with uh, Hitler's committing suicide, with M- Mussolini being uh, being taken down by the mob, uh, with the development mm-hmm. of the H bomb, the A bomb, with a- Auschwitz and Dachau discovered, uh, with the fight for o- Okinawa. It's just a momentous, momentous month in the history of the United States, just a t- tremendous amount of every day was a, was a major news story, major new, many, many major news stories each day. Great. Well, I look forward to it. I see it now, right now. It's uh, April 1945, the hinge of history. All right, yeah. uh, Craig Shirley, thank you as always for the perspective on this. We'll talk to you again very soon. All right. Thank you Ed, very much.
All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been looking forward to talking with our next guest, Dean Reuter. He's the general counsel of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy, also as a fellow over at George Mason, and uh, he's an editor of books and things. His co-authors, I should mention them because they play a big role in this book, are Colm Lowry, who's from uh, Northern Ireland. He's a lecturer, and also Keith Chester, an investigative researcher and an author. And so the book is called The Hidden Nazi. It's published by Regnery uh, History, which is one of Regnery's uh, imprints, and the untold story of America's deal with the devil. Uh, Dean, welcome to the program. It's an extraordinary book. It's great to talk to you. It's good to be on with you, Ed. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. And I'll cut to my my listeners know I love to do this, Dean. I'll cut to the back and then come back to the front. But I, I read the first chapter, the last chapter, and then I go back and through the middle. I get to the end of the book, Dean, and we'll set it up. Basically, one of the worst dudes in the whole Nazi regime, uh, his name is Dean Kamler. And or might be I might be mispronouncing that Kamler, but he he um, he sort of uh, his name is sorry Hans Kamler, and he disappears. Uh, he's a general after the war, and you and your colleagues trace this, and you sort of it's like a whodunit all the way through twists and turns, documents. But I get to the end of the book, and and the the we don't know the answer. It, it looks like he cut a deal. Uh, as a bad Nazi killer, like a horrendous, you know, a, a genocidal maniac, he cut a deal and disappears. Uh, but, Dean, we don't know where he disappeared to. Did he come to America? Did he disappear in Europe? Is he in Argentina? Do you, do you, I mean, can we answer that? We can't answer that with certitude, uh, Ed, which is one of the frustrating things about this book. But we decided, you know, we've got enough information to publish here. We know, I mean, we've revealed some startling things. You know, conventional history yeah. really, really doesn't Amazing. pay attention to Hans Kamler because he committed suicide at the end of the war in May 1945. Just as the war ended, he commits suicide. The German court validates that finding. But my researchers noticed uh, that I mean, he was not only a high-ranking guy; the rank of uh, the equivalent rank of General George Patton, so um, really high-ranking, all-powerful Nazi general. Uh, there was never a body produced, no uh, sidearm or dog tags, uh, no paperwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just an adjudication of his death, and um, that didn't sit well with these researchers. And what we reveal in the book is he didn't die at the end of the war. He actually did a deal. I think we proved pretty well that he did a deal with the U.S. Army to try and erase his past, uh, and we made a deal with him in order, honestly, to get the German rocket team. Werner von Braun and that rocket team fell into our hands, not uh, out of some stroke of luck, but because we did a deal with Hans Kampler, the hidden Nazi. Well, and when, and and again, we're talking with uh, Dean Reuter, and his his book is called "The Hidden Nazi," available wherever books are sold. Regnery uh, publishes it. Um, uh, but Dean, um, when you read this, it's some details are stri- I'm really striking. One is he's a senior, senior guy designing Auschwitz and and design, you know, carrying out the plans to exterminate millions of people. He's not a military man. He's an architect, I think, or I think an account yeah. engineer. And and, and he gets promoted up through. Yes. Yeah, and ends up not only in charge of the physical design and implementation of Auschwitz and others, but as you point out, he also is so senior, he's in charge of supervising the, I guess, what do you call it, the secret weapon division, like uh, they were rockets as well as probably trying to get to nuclear weapons, right? 
That's exactly right. They had rockets that were very far advanced, much farther advanced than anybody uh, in the Allies, the Western Allies, or even Russia. And everybody knew as the war was ending, Germany was going to lose, and there would be this mad scramble uh, for that secret technology. And whoever came out of it uh, would have a 10 years head start on the Cold War. That's why we made the deal with the hidden Nazi, with Hans Kammler. Uh, But he ended up in charge of that. Uh, not just the rockets, but as you suggest, nuclear research. And we show in our book that they made probably more uh, advances in nuclear research than anybody thought. They certainly had more research sites than anybody's been able to document before the hidden Nazi. Um, but it, it's just a remarkable story. I mean, I, I would not have it believed is. it to be true if I hadn't participated in the discovery of it. <laughs> Well, you do a good. I have to say, you do a good job of that. You, as the narrator, you kind of you lead, you lead as the reader. I was thinking like you were. I was like, you know, at one point you're describing like you're looking out the window of your home office and you go for a run and you're thinking, is this all coming together? And you're like, wait, one more detail. But I want to go back for a second. Again, we're talking with Dean Reuter. The book is The Hidden Nazi. Um, at the very beginning, you talk about traveling to Germany to interview uh, Hans Kammler's son, who is, I think. I, I assumed, I don't remember if he was elderly, but he was certainly infirm. And you're interviewing him, and you're sort of, it's enough of a human portrayal that you, you the reader, I think, or at least I did, I thought, how did this guy, this Hans Kemmler, become such a maniac? And, you know, that's kind of like um, that, that, that question, right, is how do people that get born and raised end up, like, being so, doing such evil things? I don't know if I get what do you think by the end of all this research? It's a great question. And we do try and delve into the human aspects of this. It's, it's really hard to, to figure out how somebody can go so far off the rail and even more to the point, maybe how an entire culture, uh, Germany, right. one, of the, one of the most advanced cultures, not just at the time, but in the history of humankind, uh, you know, produced right. such great science and music and culture and then ended up killing six million Jews um, out of malice. And this was not just a handful of people participating in this. This was a, a nationwide endeavor that involved a lot more people than, than sometimes we're led to believe. But one, one critical aspect of Hans Kammler that I just can't get over, which really shows he does have no redeeming characters, is characteristics, is that he lost a daughter as an infant in an accident when a nurse uh, yeah. left a bottle of chloroform open near his daughter. So his own daughter is gassed to death, ironically, and yet he goes on without any um, you know, indication of remorse or any hesitation. There's no pause button. He designs the gas chambers and the ovens, and he just figuratively pushes people into those gas chambers, men, women, and children. Well. Well, and and I, again, I'm I'm God knows I'm not defending him, but you go armchair a quarterback or, or armchair psychiatrist, and I don't know maybe that may, he lost. I think I think you remember. I think I remember he lost two children in their in in their infancy. Yeah. So maybe somehow he snaps. You know, we tend to think of at least I do stereotypically think like you know the mother of a child like that snaps and is never never recovers is institutionalized. I don't know. It's a uh, oh, again uh, Dean Reuter. The book is the Hidden Nazi: The Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. As you read this, as I read. This, Dean, I was reminded of some of the other sort of deals there were, and then some of the ones that escaped, like Barbie, uh, that was a famous Nazi who escaped or got got some kind of got out, either got a deal or got out. uh, Referenced a few others. What's your thought now that you've done all this research about the number of Nazis who got a deal? 
I mean, you, you trace through there, and it's the names that we all I mean, all know that read this. So Wild Bill Donovan and Dulles and the OSS before it becomes the CIA. You know, nowadays, if you said the CIA did lots of deals, I don't think a lot of the public would particularly be surprised, right? They'd say, oh, the CIA. I mean, who knows what they do? I mean, maybe, maybe good or bad. But what's your sense of how many deals Nazis got? And, and this may have been the most dramatic guy, but there were some other real bad dudes that seemed to have gotten deals too, right? There, there were plenty of folks. I mean, I'd say in the hundreds in terms of deals. And I mean, just for example, we brought 200 Nazi rocket scientists to the United States. A lot of these deals uh, wound up with uh, Nazis being imported into the United States and their records cleansed along the way so they could get a fresh start. Uh, it was a calculation hmm. we made, the United States made, that we these people were more valuable than they were dirty. They were uh, more used to us alive than they were dead as examples. Um, it's it's tough, Ed, to, to second-guess those decisions when they were made on the ground. But one thing I did discover is there were two groups of Americans, uh, or Western allies really, even in Europe after the war. There was one group that was assigned to capture and punish Nazi war criminals, and there was another group that was uh, assigned to capture and export Nazi talent um, and, and scientists mm. and engineers. Um, and there was a, then a smaller third group that was recruiting Nazis on the continent to act as intelligence assets against the Soviet Union. The Nazis had just been fighting the Soviet Union for four years. Uh, we were about to engage in a Cold War, and we used them as, as intelligence assets, including Klaus Barbie. Uh, who you mentioned, so who was so prominent, and then with our help, I mean, this is a well-documented case. With our help, he got off the continent and made it to South America. Uh, and the papers, um, the paperwork for Klaus Barbie, uh, contained a lot of the same information, a lot of the same signatures as the paperwork we discovered for Hans Kammler, which is why we conclude uh, uh, that he went yeah. to South America. And and but again, uh, Barbie was when it was found. They found. Well, I think did they find him or did he pass? Had he passed away by then? I mean, it, it isn't a. Ch- is there a ch- is there a chance? Huh? They found they, they found, found Klaus Barbie. They found Klaus Barbie and, and and extradited him to France in the 1980s. He was tried and convicted. Spent a short time in prison before he died. Um, Eichmann was hmm. found by the by the Israelis. Uh, Mengele is the most prominent Nazi who wasn't found uh, and and whose bones were found after he died. Do you think that is there any chance that Kamler's alive? No. no, I mean by now he'd be he'd be 120, 121 years old. Oh, 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 um, right, right, okay. So, um, and, and and any evidence that um uh, that you've uh, any any even inkling that he of somebody that could have been him that's out there that you that somebody tracked down in Argentina? No, or somewhere? and that's that's a, that's that's another good question, Ed, and there is no inkling of that. We because nobody was searching for him. I mean, until really, you know, we started this research because we we sort of stumbled on this guy as a prominent Nazi who was all-powerful and all-evil, who'd never been written about. And then we started doing the right. research. And uh, in our research, we contacted the Mossad. We contacted the U.S. Office of Special Investigation. Those are our Nazi hunters. We contacted the Wiesenthal right. Center. And every one of them to this day said, no, we never, we never looked for Kamler. He was dead. Um, so he yeah. went unnoticed, and nobody, no, there were no sightings. There were no, at least not that we've discovered. Now, there are right. documents that exist to this day in in U.S. archives and other archives that that won't be shown to us. We can't get access to them. Oh, oh, and, because they're classified, and, and or yeah, they're classified. But two of them in particular, one was produced in 1969, one was produced in 1987 about Hans Kammler. And you got to think, 40 years after the war. Uh, what documents are being produced by a guy who died 40 years ago? And these 
two documents run over 100 pages. Hmm. That might the one in the eighties. It's easy to speculate. It's a closing, close the file, right? He died finally, and someone you know put he he's gone, and they they put where he was buried or something. Uh, um, uh, uh, Dean Reuter, I'm going to run out of time, and again, the book is uh, the Hidden Nazi: The Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. I want to ask one more question. You mentioned the American Nazi hunters in the Department of Justice. We have an office that has done this for years. It still exists, I I, I believe, because yes. there's still some chance that you have a 15 or 20 year old that could have been uh, assisting in the. Nazis, I think, right? Is it? Is there any? Um, what do they do? I mean, or is it closing down? Or what's that? What is that? What's the status of that? I don't think most Americans realize that it still exists. And as recently as a year ago, there was a, a trial in Germany of a Nazi war criminal, a, a, a camp guard. And the irony there, Ed, uh, not amusing, but it's ironic that uh, this young man, when he participated, was a, a youth. So at the age of ninety something, now he was on trial in Germany in juvenile court because his offenses were committed when he was a juvenile. Uh, so that office still huh. exists. It's, it's still doing its work. Um, it's still unearthing and documenting uh, some things. There, hmm. there just aren't a lot of uh, Nazi camp guards left. A lot of things left, yeah. Well, it's a very interesting uh, uh, book, and I congratulate you, Dean. And, you're, and you're, you, you even, as a writer, you even give your uh, co-authors great color, their characters in the, in the thing. So uh, congratulate that again. And say, the Hidden Nazi, the Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. Uh, Dean Reuter, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks again for having me, and thanks for your time, Ed. Okay. We'll take a break, everybody, and I'll put it up on social media, and I'll, I'll do some more uh, uh, reading on it, uh, uh, some things around it, make sure to, to put the word out there. People, my listeners will like it. We'll take a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. I don't envy the people who have to make political cartoons today. When politicians are already caricatures of themselves, how can anyone else compete for the comedic gold? For instance, in the midst of inflation rates unlike anything we've seen for generations, the Democrats think that the best solution is to pass multi-trillion dollar spending bills at full speed. Inflation under President Joe Biden has already sharply increased after being dormant for three decades under conservative fiscal policies established by a Republican-controlled Congress. Multi-trillion dollar spending programs dependent on more borrowing to pay for them will only fan the flames of greater inflation. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell observed that the $3.5 trillion Democrat infrastructure bill was completely inappropriate for the country which is already suffering from dramatic inflation. Undeterred, Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is determined to push this through without a single Republican vote. President Biden even admitted to reporters, I'm not sure what may happen, exactly how it's going to be paid for. While President Biden may not know where the money will come from, I can certainly narrow it down to two possibilities. There are only two options available for funding this. An increase in taxes or an increase in borrowing which will cause greater pressure on inflation. There's no third choice. Either way, the American people come out as the big losers. Inflation may not be a tax in the traditional sense of the word, but it drains the bank accounts of everyday Americans just as easily. And while the government prints more and more money, the nest egg you've carefully put away for years will quickly become less and less valuable. Prices go up and savings go down. Arguably, inflation is more of a tax 
than taxes are. Either way, the last thing Congress needs to do right now is throw monopoly money around recklessly. Conservative fiscal policy is the surest way for government to get out of the way of families who are in pursuit of the American dream. Bidenflation needs to be called out as the tax that it is. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Liberal politicians cannot be allowed to manipulate tax laws regarding Social Security, charitable donations, retirement accounts, homeownership, and the definition of family. Low taxes and smaller government are core values at phyllisschlafly.com. Join us, won't you, at phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I'm going to tell you a little quick story, uh, and I'm going to flag this. And I wonder if someday it will become true. So here's what I wanted to tell you. I read with such interest the book that we talked about a few minutes ago, uh, The Hidden Nazi, uh, by uh, Mr. Reuters uh, and his co-authors. And I whipped through it in part because I've always been fascinated by the pursuit of some of the main Nazis after the war. It's almost impossible for us to imagine why anyone would make a deal with those Nazis. You know, why would you, how could you possibly want to make a deal? But you have to understand at the end of the war, World War II, if you look closely at the history, we were instantly concerned and radically concerned about the impact of um, the uh, weaponry and rockets and technology, that's the better word, the, broadly speaking, the technology the Germans had been producing and worried that they would give it over to the Russians. Now, a lot of the Russians, even, I hate to say it, the Nazis, hated the communists. They were rivals sufficient, they hated each other. So anyway, there was a whole <clears throat> sense after World War II, immediately, in the people that were in power that were new things, uh, military and otherwise, that they were worried about the Soviet Union. So, but um, Mengele, you heard mentioned in that interview with um, uh, the author, uh, Reuters, uh, Dean Reuters, Dean Reuters, excuse me, uh, Klaus Barbie, um, this man, uh, Kamler, all these top-level Nazis who would have had access to massive amounts of wealth but that wasn't as important as the ma- and it might, massive wealth was important to bribe uh, people in Argentina, for example. I think that's what Klaus Barbie did. Um, he had so much money, he went down there and he was able to sort of buy off the locals, uh, buy off the Argentinian government. Uh, but the others that were negotiating directly with the American government were focused on um, uh, uh, technology and information. But here's something that is interesting to think about. These people that otherwise seemed normal, that became these animals, these barbaric uh, human beings that were just so just evil, um, there were a lot of people that um, surprised people after the war. You found out later, so-and-so was, a, I think, in, in, was working in, what was it, in Ohio or somewhere, was a guy who worked in a, in a machinist factory or in a, a carb factory, and he was one of the guards. Um, but here's something I want to say out loud. George Soros who went on to have a reputation as this left-wing philanthropist, he did an interview years ago now, maybe 10 years ago, where he admitted on camera on 60 Minutes that he went with a friend of his father's to collect from Jewish people 
their property. Now, you say, well, was he a, he was a kid. He was maybe 16 or 17 or 18 years old, uh, George Soros at the time. But what, what the interview sort of uh, made you wonder was when George Soros later became an American citizen, there are a series of laws, two at least that I can think of, that were put in place, passed by the U.S. Congress, signed by the government, by the president, signed by the president, at least two occasions, one in the 50s, I believe, and one in the 70s, that made it a crime to mislead the government on your uh, citizenship application. In other words, you're asked directly if you had any role with uh, the Nazis or World War II or anything. And I got to wonder what Soros filled out. Because was he aiding and abetting the Nazis? It wasn't. You didn't have to have a Nazi uniform on to be aiding and abetting the Nazis as they were proceeding. That's not the, that's not the way it was uh, judged. So we'll see if we ever get to the bottom of that. Anyway, very interesting topic. Uh, we will uh, uh, have a Dean Reuter back on, follow up with his book. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.